Welcome to the One Life Podcast, where we have rare but vital conversations about Jesus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the One Life Podcast. One Life is a startup church here in Nashville, Tennessee. Our mission is to build extended families of disciples that live on mission together. My name is Tiffany Ketchum, and here with me is my husband and co-host, Tim Ketchum. Hello, everybody. We're on episode number 62 today, and we are so thankful that you decided to tune in. So we are going to finish up the story of Joseph, not talking about everything that happens, but just kind of jump through the story here and not only finish the story of Joseph, but finish up Genesis Watch out. What? <laughs> We're going to finish up We're gonna fast the entire track. book of the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. But you know, there's a lot. There is a lot in Genesis. So, yeah. It's okay. It's true. We're not going to do it quite like this through every single book of the Bible. It's true. We're not going <laughs> to do a year's worth in the book of Exodus. Right. Or, uh, you know, Leviticus or... Right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, we're not going to do a year in Leviticus. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Tim. No can do. (laughs) Oh, man. So how are we going to talk about... It's a long narrative here, so we just need to kind of give a a summary of what happens in Joseph's story. Yeah, we're going to do a summary about eight chapters, essentially. Let's do it. I think probably what I'll just say briefly is that there's two stories in the book of Genesis that take up a lot of space, and that's the story of Abraham and the story of Joseph. Yes. And so we're we're essentially doing the same thing we did with the story of Abraham as we're looking at Abraham's development as a son of the father and how the father matures him through a process. And... The story of Joseph is essentially a very similar story. We get a, a very up-close look at how Joseph navigates challenges and difficulties and how that develops and matures him. And part of this maturing process, he's already gone through a major portion of the maturing process. But he does hit this moment where he gets introduced to his family again. There's a famine in the land and his brothers come to visit. And he's like, wait, those are my brothers. And if you if you kind of process this from like a trauma perspective, he's been traumatized by his brothers. And anytime you've been traumatized by something, you you have to get measured doses back into integrating with that thing or person or place. And that's essentially what Joseph does. He he meets them, but then he sends them back to their father. But he says, but I'm going to keep one of you here. Yeah, he's actually kind of a little bit mean to them. Yes. He's not exactly super nice to start off with. Yeah, he's he's treating them as if they are not his family, but he's definitely creating a little bit of mischief for them. And which is, you know, when you compare what they did to him, it's pretty remarkable that that's all he does. It's true. He's just like, oh, you're spies and... I'm going to keep one of your brothers and then, but you need to send my, not my, but it's his little brother, but you need to bring back your younger brother. Mm -hmm. But he still sends them home with food and all that. That's right. So, yeah, he's, he's definitely come a long way. He's, he's been able to forgive 
and to forget, and yet there's still that rub there. And so eventually, long story short, all of his brothers and Jacob, because of the famine, end up coming back to Egypt and saying, hey, Joseph, we would like to live with you here in Egypt. And essentially what Pharaoh does is Pharaoh says, oh, Joseph, this is your family. Oh, that's great. Let me meet them. And they go in and meet Pharaoh, and then Jacob blesses Pharaoh, which this is actually the first time in the story of Joseph where the language that a seed of Abraham blesses a ruler from another nation. And so this is in part like a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. The seed of Abraham will bless the nations. Pharaoh is good with it, and he says, okay, since y'all are shepherders and you deal a lot with livestock, we're going to make y'all live in the land of Goshen. And the land of Goshen is this really nice green place right by the river. But it's also a place that they didn't really visit that often. And they kind of wanted the shepherds who they didn't think very highly of to be in a place all by themselves. And so Israel takes up, Jacob takes his family, and they settle down in the land of Goshen. And that's sort of like the summary of the of the story of Joseph so far. <laughs> yeah, very short summary. Very short summary. It's, it's, a, it's a great story, though. I really wish somebody would make an amazing movie out of it. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, it's, it, it's so dramatic. But the part that we're going to jump into here to close up the story of Joseph is going to be chapter 50 and verse starting with verse 15, and this is right after Jacob dies. It's kind of an interesting soap opera drama kind of thing, because once Jacob dies, all of Joseph's brothers are like, what if Joseph was only being kind to us while dad was alive? And now that dad is gone, what if he's going to take vengeance on us? And so they want to make sure everything is good between them and Joseph. And that's where we're going to jump into here about how that goes down. Okay, so last chapter of Genesis 50, starting in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Now this is a really interesting response for Joseph, and it just kind of reveals that a genuine forgiveness has taken place. I think one of the ways that I've always kind of gauged whether or not I've actually forgiven someone is if given the opportunity to hurt them in some way, would I turn that opportunity down? And then another level, that that's kind of like let you know you've crossed the line, that you are actually not going to do that person harm. But another level of forgiveness is where given the opportunity to do something good to them, would you take that opportunity? And that's a, a higher level of forgiveness, if you want to put it like that. That's, that's a more deeper. Deep down in your heart. <laughs> deep down, you would actually do something good for them. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's really interesting that Joseph uh, weeps right here. 
because he he gets this big picture. He sees, he's already interpreted everything that has gone on, that this is God's working through the evil of other people for the good of other people. He's already kind of came to that conclusion, but for some reason he's touched by this gesture by his brothers, and it's just kind of hard to know why. You know, but it's it, it just shows that his sensitivity to his family is still there, even his brothers. Mm-hmm. Verse 18, his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. So you really have both aspects of forgiveness here, right? You've got him not doing them dirty, but then he actually says, I'm going to provide for you and your little ones. I'm going to do good to you. And so that forgiveness has definitely gone really deep into his heart. But I think one of the keys here is the question that he asked them, which is, am I in the place of God? And this kind of reveals that Joseph knows his place and he knows God's place. And he's had a lot of time to reflect on this, that there's some things that God does that I don't do, and there's some things that I do that God does not do. But there's there's a differentiation between God's activity and my activity. And he essentially transfers that over to his brothers as well. He says, there's certain things that you did that God did not do, but there's certain things that God did even in spite of and through what you did to save many people's lives. And he's able to hold those things apart. He's able to distinguish between the evil that his brothers did and the good that God did through their evil choices. And God's goal, this big, humongous goal that Joseph had no clue about, you know, Joseph had no idea about God's overarching goal of saving many lives when he was first sold into Egypt. He had no idea that God was going to use his life in that way, but he knows now. And he's choosing to interpret the evil that has happened to him through his brothers. He's choosing to interpret that in a way that allows God to bring an ultimate good out of that evil. And the beauty of this story is that Joseph actually gets to see that good up front, you know, very personal, very broad ways. He's very intimately involved in that. It's a beautiful story about how someone had to wrestle with good and evil and how he had to wrestle with, you know, do I want to say that God did this to me? Well, no, God didn't do it to him, but yet God used the evil choices that other people did to him for good. And so it basically means that we never face evil alone. We never enter into evil. We never experience evil completely by ourselves, that God is always present and is always working to transform that evil into something good. And yet, 
God is not the one who does the evil. So that's, that's, that's definitely a sign of maturity of being able to hold those things in tension with one another. But it, it's very difficult to do that. But apparently Joseph has kind of come to that point in his life where he's able to differentiate those things. Yeah, it really is remarkable that Joseph goes through this entire life story of just difficulty after difficulty. And he trusted God. He allowed God to move in each situation every time that he was put down. He allowed God to lift him back up. And certainly when he had that dream at the very beginning of his life about his brothers bowing down to him, I don't think he could have imagined that he would actually be, not only would that actually happen, but that he would be saving them, his whole family from a famine, not only them, but also just this entire region. Basically his interpretation and his work to store up grain and prepare that actually God used that to save all of these people in this whole area. And so that's pretty incredible to see how God moved in such a huge way to um, bring about something like that. It definitely makes me think of Jesus, this storyline, and about how people treated him, even to the point of killing him, Mm. and how God did something hugely amazing for Jesus' people, but also for people from there until now. Yeah, it's it's a there's a definite big correlation here between the story of Joseph and the story of Jesus in that respect. I think a good example of this is when Jesus comes back from the dead, he does not seek revenge. He does not try to find the people who were responsible for his death. He actually goes straight to his disciples. He forgives the person who betrayed him, Peter, who denied him. And there is no vengeance. There is no doing evil to the people responsible for his death. Instead, 50 days later, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to start the process of offering forgiveness to the people who killed him. And that's kind of like what we're going to jump into here in Acts chapter 2. We're going to read this sermon from Peter where he actually, he says, okay, there's been evil, and yes, you were a part of it, but we're going to offer forgiveness, and we're actually going to offer a huge blessing here, and that actually turns out to be the Holy Spirit and turning people away from their sins. But let's, let's just kind of read Acts 2 and, and kind of watch this unfold in that sermon. Acts 2, verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So this particular passage, it of course hits sort of like, hey, evil happened, but God worked it out and he reversed the evil that you caused. 
that's not necessarily profound because we see God doing that a lot throughout the Bible. What's really profound is that God then turns towards them through Peter and offers them forgiveness. And then they, in turn, are invited to participate in sharing this forgiveness with other people and to actually start becoming like Jesus in his love for his enemies, in forgiving your enemies, and actually offering to bless your enemies. That, that's what's truly profound. You know, later on, Peter's going to say, you know, if, if you are willing to, to change your heart and get baptized for the remission of sins, you'll receive the Holy Spirit, and it's going to be a huge blessing. And the, the beautiful thing is that you have over 3,000 people who were there for Jesus' death, most likely. Most people arrived for Passover and stayed 50 days for the Feast of Pentecost. The very same people who were present in the city when Jesus was crucified are the very same people who receive his loving offer of forgiveness and join his family. And that that is just such a... You just don't hear any news, any any stories in the news about stuff like that. Yeah, know? there's definitely no movies, hardly, that have that kind of storyline. It, it it breaks the mold big time. And in, in fact, it it basically you have to, in some ways, be like a romantic to want to make a movie like that, <laughs> right? And you're just going to risk this thing is not going to sell. Nobody's going to want to watch it. There, there's no dramatic, violent scenes. It, it's truly redemptive. Well, there is, but there's no revenge. There's back. no revenge, right. <laughs> there's not like a battle. It's, yes. It's more like a laying down of life and giving it away. It's a beautiful story. And the story of Joseph definitely forecasts and foreshadows the story of Jesus in, in a major way. Uh, through God using evil done by other people for the good of not only the people who did the evil, but for other people as well, beyond that circle of people who did the evil. So God, God's blessing always ripples out. You know, in the story of Acts, it, it of course starts rippling out to the nations. And that's where you really start to see the blessing of Abraham move into the nations. And that's, that's what's really inspiring. Yes, it is inspiring for us that we can know that God can bring redemption. He can bring such good and amazing things, even through the worst of circumstances. Well, let's close it up here, closing out Genesis and the story of Joseph, and we will keep trekking forward into Exodus. (laughs) Don't forget to hit that subscribe button, and it will let you know whenever we have a new podcast coming out. If you have any comments or questions, just click on the link in our podcast notes and you can go to that page and respond. We appreciate you listening as always, and we will catch you next time.